This is Michael Cowan, and welcome to Trial Lawyer Nation. He helps us pan for the gold inside ourselves. You need to have grit. I mean, a lot of this is grit. I feel like I've been made a better lawyer. They're talking about something that's real to them. You have to be really careful not to be Goliath. They saved a bunch of lives and changed society forever. But let's just begin the conversation. Welcome to Trial Lawyer Nation, your source for guidance to win bigger verdicts, get more cases, and manage your practice. And now, here's your host, noteworthy author, sought-after speaker, and renowned trial lawyer, Michael Cowan. Today on Trial Lawyer Nation, we have Artemis Malakpour. Artemis is a trial consultant with the firm of uh, Malakpour and Ball. She works with a guy named David Ball you might have heard of. He wrote a little book called Damages, one called The Reptile. Uh, Artemis has done focus groups and worked on cases all over the country and she's learned a lot about how today's jurors in today's divided society, how they make decisions, how they think, and more important, how you can bring both sides together of the political spectrum to get a good result for your client. I found this so useful. We're already applying a lot of what we learned from Artemis in our practice. I hope it helps you and yours too. So let's welcome Artemis Malakpour. How are you doing this morning? I'm well, thanks. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, I'm going to ask you a question that I already know the answer to, but all our listeners might not. Uh, What do you do? So I am trial litigation uh, strategy consultant type of person. Um, So it's kind of, you know, I think initially they were called jury consultants, but we do more than juries. We do trials and we do more than trials. We do actually litigation process from Before you even file a case uh, until you're in trial and even post-trial, we do jury interviews and stuff like that, So, which is actually where I got my start. Um, So I do a little bit of everything, but basically help you with your cases. Okay, so a little bit of everything. You do focus groups? Focus groups, um, trial strategy, um, mediation strategy, just even discovery, helping you figure out you know where you need to go in discovery, um, even whether or not you need to take a case. We even look at pre-suit issues that you have in the case, um, helping you with voir dire, uh, jury selection, voir dire, whatever you want to call it, um, coming up with questions, helping with openings, um, uh, so a whole gamut of things uh, we end up doing. Um, yeah, uh, That's really cool, and I, and I love working with you, but how did you end up doing this? So initially, my background is psychology. Uh, I was a psych major in undergrad. I actually initially got into college thinking I wanted to be. I was actually pre-law. If you look at the, uh, I went to Carolina University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and if you look at that, yearbook that they give out for freshmen incoming freshmen it actually says psychology pre-law and I and that was I'm sure uh, related to reading To Kill a Mockingbird and being inspired (laughs) and wanting to go in but I went down the pre-med track my dad's a psychiatrist I thought well psychology so interesting I want to do that Um, and then went to grad school uh, at UNC for the School of Public Health and Healthcare Administration, was thinking medical school and worked in the Department of Psychiatry at UNC Hospitals where I realized I don't like medicine, which is ironic with the cases that I'm working on now. I do a lot of med mal cases, <laughs> but at that time I realized I'm not a big fan of this whole medicine thing. And so I was fortunate at Duke Law School, um, there was a psycho- uh, psychology professor there. He was not, he did not have a legal degree, but he had a psych background. And so I went to him and I said, you know, I'm really interested in psychology uh, and I'm also interested in the law, but I don't want to represent anyone. What do I do? And he said, you know, there's things called jury consulting and I knew that just from the OJ uh, trial that there had been a you know there was a discussion about their jury consultant and he said yeah and there's also this guy in Durham his name is David Ball and he does that and so you might want to talk to him and so that end of before I started my second year of law school I actually changed all my courses I was heading in a different direction and I revamped my schedule and then also met with David and David said well if you're interested 
um, we can do an internship. You can uh, go see some of the focus groups that I'm doing, and then also um, it, you can do some post-trial interviews. And so that's how I started my first focus group. I went with him to, um, it was one that was held at Wake Forest uh, Law School, actually. And he just kind of threw me in there and said, do this discussion group with these people. <laughs> and I said, all right. And the rest of the folks were deliberating. And I was just hooked. I remember that drive back from Winston-Salem. And I just could not stop talking. I was just, <laughs> this was the funnest thing ever, just listening to what other folks had to say about what they had just heard. I thought, because I tend to be um, more of an observer, I like to listen and watch people, I, you know, as opposed to getting or jumping right in. And so this was, it was natural for me to kind of throw a question out there and then just let them talk and see the direction in which they went. And, um, and then I did post-trial interviews for cases during law school, um, for cases that he had worked on, and then I also did um, I did death penalty clinic, and I also did an independent study afterwards interviewing jurors who had served on death penalty cases. And um, so that was fascinating as well, especially because a lot of these people had never uh, actually talked to anybody about their experience. So yeah. they spent two or three hours with me just really just debriefing and just unleashing all these emotions and stuff and so then I took the bar uh, when I graduated just in case I ever wanted to practice but I've been doing this ever since so a really long answer to your question well, that's great that's wonderful I didn't know that's really cool yeah I have a psychology degree too ah see yeah but, uh, I think that uh, you talk about the trying to do too much I think people with codependency tendencies tend to go into trial law and tend to go into psychology and I think we have a tendency to to want to do too much and yeah it's really I I absolutely admire what all of you do because I could I know I cannot do it even when I go to jury selections and a juror will talk about experience that they had which makes it difficult for them to serve on this jury and then they start to cry and then I start to cry I'm like this is why I should not be doing this <laughs> this is like I cannot so it's really it's it's tough when you hear um, and when I meet clients because normally what I do is stuff on paper and I might see clients on video or stuff but I don't really meet them unless I go to jury selections um, and when I do that's when I get attached my strength that I've always had, I'm very analytical and I'm very, I can do a critical analysis of things and especially if it's on paper, I can rip up your case. Uh, it's, it's one of my strengths and it also frustrates attorneys because they, they are like, how can you see my case that way? But part of it is all the focus groups that I've done over the years. Um, but then when I do have an attachment, if I meet the client or hear a really sad story, then I kind of you know, my guard goes down and I turn to Artemis as opposed to the trial consultant. Yeah, I do try to not do the initial client interviews anymore because I end up taking every case. Yeah. And then, you know, as a law firm, that's not a good idea because you can't take every case and you can't, you know, you can maybe get something on every on most cases, but it's not a good economic way to run a law firm and make payroll. Uh, and it takes you away from the cases where you could really do justice when you're having to work really, really hard on a case that's not that great of a case. Absolutely. I just talked with an attorney about that. She has a small, she intentionally has a smaller practice and she says she does a screening process on paper before she does that. She's doing her intake before she ever meets anyone. And then of course she makes sure that whenever she does turn someone down, she turns them down with resources. It's not just like, no, I'm not taking your cases, but here's someone who might, or here's some resources, referral services for you in other areas. Um, so, cause it is, I mean, once you're kind of attached and that's, that's the wonderful thing about trial attorneys, and I'm sad that they have uh, such a bad rap because the trial attorneys I meet are so connected to their clients. That's why they get so angry with me when I beat up their cases because they are so connected and they are so um, attached to those clients and their stories. And so it's, like I said, the things that y'all do 
it's amazing to me. So I, will, I appreciate it. I will tell you the times I've done a focus group with you, I have been wanting to cry afterwards. Yes. <laughs> I've had people wanting to cry. I've had people sending me, texting me, saying, oh, my God, I can't believe they said that. Uh, so I just had one the other day where she was texting me because I, when we're doing discussion groups, I tell, I give them my uh, cell just in case something, a question comes up to be able to answer it. And uh, she was debating i told her after i was like you are debating with these jurors as it through my thing that's not what the whole texting policy was for and she <laughs> laughed because uh, she, she couldn't help it i mean you can't it's your cases and yeah. they're your babies so yeah and i it took me a little bit of maturity to, to figure out that i need to learn all these bad things before yeah. we go to trial so we can deal with them rather than afterwards so we can find out why we lost absolutely <laughs> Yes, you don't want to hear all the bad stuff when they're deliberating. You want to deal with it beforehand. So out of curiosity, when you started working with David Ball, Mm -hmm. you know, right now he's, you know, David Ball, superstar, you know, the man. Mm -hmm. Where was he on his career arc when you started with him? He was there. Damages 2 had just come out. Uh, That's the red copy. And But I had no idea who he was. I just... I mean, we met at an Elmo's in Durham. Um, he seemed really laid back and chill, and, you know, he didn't seem, you know, if you've seen David, he'll come in in his jeans and a black shirt, and that's his wardrobe. And so, um, and I talked with him, and um, and I didn't really, I, I guess this was sort of pre when you Google everybody, because I didn't go and Google him to see who was this David Ball person and at that time there was another consultant working with him and I just remember I think it was my summer between my second and third year um, we she and I went to uh, AAJ which at that point was ATLA seminar the convention I think it was in San Francisco maybe that year and so we went there and we were actually at one of those booths um, and like I said, Damages 2 was come, had just come out. And so these folks were coming up to us and saying, oh, my God, this is my Bible. This is this. And I said, who is this person that I've met that I'm working with now? Because these people that I remember coming home and saying, David, these people seem to know you really well and like you, and I'm not really sure about this. Um, so he was... You know, as I said, that book had come out, and so people did see him in that way. But good or bad, I've never really seen him that way. Well, when you actually work with somebody, it's different. Yeah, you but meet you, him differently. But you've been there, I guess, through all the research where they developed the, the reptile theory and how to with apply Don that. With Don Keenan and Gary Johnson and all them and Jim Fitzgerald and all that, yes. Oh, that, that had to be so cool to, to be part of that. Yeah, well, initially they were going out. Um, that team was going out and around the country and seeing and you know, Don and David tell the story of how Don Keenan you know had this idea and calls David in the middle of the night and it had to be really late because David is a late sleeper and for Don to have woken David up is pretty amazing um, and so you know David's like Sounds like a great idea. Do you think it can wait <laughs> until morning? Um, so yeah, so it was it was one of those things that you know that team was amazing to start that, and so I've enjoyed being you know part of that ride and seeing how it has flourished since then and all this happened. So you're doing focus groups around the country. So how many do you think you do a year? It really depends. Um, I mean, just. I would say this year so far, we're in March, almost the end of March, and I've done maybe almost 10, but that seems heavier than normal. Uh, So it really depends, and we also have lulls sometimes. Something happens in the summer, and I don't know whether everyone just goes on vacation or if it's convention season or something, so it's kind of like, I haven't done one of these in a while, and then all of a sudden it picks up again in the fall, and I say, why didn't I enjoy that part where time when there was kind of a lull? But I, I love going around the country and talking to people um, and listening to what they have to say about a case, especially if we've already worked up the case with the attorneys. David and I do this thing, work days, where folks come into uh, Raleigh, Durham is where you fly into, and they come to Durham, and we work the case up in the morning. Um, we beat the case up, we rip it apart, and then the afternoon, we wear it, depending on where you are in trial and where we are in the case, we 
pull it back together. Um, and so and that is so fun, by the way, to work with y'all and, and do a work day and like spend a day just working on one case with really smart people that can help you put it together and tell a story that actually gets believed. And that's why we do it. We have you come here so you can spend the day on one case and not have other interference going on, whether you've got somebody coming into the office or anything like that, we have you come into, away from your office so you can just focus on that one case. Um, but as you know, that mourning period is rough, and yeah. sometimes attorneys don't like to hear all the stuff in their cases, or they're kind of shell-shocked, and so David's joke is by lunchtime, we have this wonderful menu of food you can eat, and you don't really want to eat anything because you're wondering why I ever took this case. Why eat when um, I'm depressed, so I don't have that problem. Yeah. <laughs> so if you have that, then you would love the lunchtime period. There's snacks all day, so as you're stressing, you could eat. Um, but, yeah, it's um, that's part of So we do that uh, work day. And what was your initial question? Uh, no, I was just going into, uh, you know, how many focus groups you do you do oh, a lot around the country and the reason i was asking is you know because i think you do more focus groups in more places than anybody else i know yeah. so now it's you know 2018 it's an interesting time in the country uh, are there any kind of trends you're seeing lately there are and actually what the reason why i got into the work days was i was uh, gonna say the great thing about if you we have you come for a work day the wonderful thing about focus groups is the things that we tell you that morning um, and maybe later on that afternoon that you really don't want to hear if we're able to do a focus group or if you go and then later do a focus group that's validated based on what you end up hearing in the focus group and so sometimes when it's also why when I teach I teach with my focus group clips because I found that trying to tell people here's what I've learned trust me as we talk about attorneys this idea of trust me because I know um, doesn't really work very well um, so instead of trust me let me show you and this is what you should be doing a trial as well whether you're the trial attorney or you have experts on there it's not about because I said so but here's let me show you how and that's the great thing about focus groups for me working with attorneys is that here's the show of what I have told you. Um, but what I found working across the country with folks, I mean, there, I honestly think there has to be a playbook somewhere because at some point you're going to hear someone talk about personal responsibility. You're going to hear them talking about, well, you know, this is the plaintiff always wants more than they're asking for and the defense will ask for less so the truth is somewhere in the middle and they're just things that I hear in each wherever you are and as diverse of a population that I've dealt with across the country I honestly am like did y'all get notes <laughs> that I missed somewhere in my growing up that where do y'all come up? It's almost sometimes verbatim, and money will do more harm than good. Um, so, yeah, it's it's an interesting, fascinating uh, thing. But I think these days, I think there's an idea, because we are so divisive um, politically, with just the landscape of what's going on, so many issues have divided us as a country I think the idea that you might see the same in your jury pool, I think you have to go out there to realize I'm still having, whether it's I'm doing a discussion group or they're doing deliberating groups, still having very decent, respectful conversations with folks who differ. When I'm doing a, I have them fill out a background questionnaire and I have questions on there that talk about their political affiliation and you know, who their favorite politicians are, who their least favorite are, and I look at those now, I'm more attuned to looking at those these days and seeing, wow, you're a very different person than you are, let's see how this plays. But when they're talking about the case, they still, they have their differences, but it's not as hostile, it's not as divisive as we see in the political landscape. Um, but as I was talking with y'all as we're working here, um, yesterday I mentioned that 
I had a group that was doing really well and there were people who disagreed but they were really respectful of it and it was just at the very end someone said something that others did not agree with and he just happened to say and fortunately it was at the end but he just happened to say this is how we got Trump and uh, that just erupted the room and it was just trying to get them all back together so certainly their their discussions that are intensely personal for folks that will divide a room and you have to be aware of that especially going into trials as well and um, probably as trial lawyers regardless of what our opinion is on trump i would imagine most but not all plaintiff's trial lawyers are not trump fans i know a few some that are, are uh, right. but i uh it's probably not a good analogy to use right now because you're going to divide your jury and i don't see how you get a big verdict with a divided jury it's not and it's and even talking about politics or anything probably not a good idea to bring up in jury selection and also realize whatever community if, if you think you're in red territory you still might offend people on your jury if you bring that up and also frankly there's not a um this is kind of a big thing that I'm hoping people do. I think trial lawyers in general need to do this anyway, is respecting those jurors and respecting their experiences, respecting where they're coming from. And I think the population also as a whole could would be served better if we understand where we're coming from and what's important to us and what's driving our decision making, what what's motivating us to feel as we do, as opposed to just kind of whitewashing it with this idea that, well, you're just stupid because you don't agree with me, you're stupid. And I worry that trial lawyers um, have, when juries don't turn out the way they want, trial lawyers dismiss it as, well, they were stupid and they didn't understand the case, as opposed to trying to figure out, okay, what was, what was behind their decision-making? What did they care about? And uh, and same with in focus groups, you know, I can look at somebody's paperwork and say, whoo, we do not agree on many things, but still having that respect for them and trying to understand, okay, now I see why you hold that belief because of this thing that has happened um, or this thing that you care about. And you care about that more than I do, and I'm understanding of that and being respectful of it. I think one thing that's really helped me is uh – volunteering as a Boy Scout leader in a place called Bernie, Texas, which is deep, deep, deep red. But they're all great people. I mean, they're, yes. you know, the... It's amazing. They don't all wear horns and have, no. like, you know, some sort of... They're not... They don't have evil looks on their face. They're not green or anything like that to be able... You are one of those bad people that I really hate. And I will also say that working with a group of eight- or nine-year-olds and running a meeting is a very good preparation for jury selection. Tell us about that. Well, because you have to speak in language that, no, they're pr pretty bright boys that yeah. I've worked with, but they're still, you know, third, fourth, fifth graders that I was working with. Uh, you have to get them talking because, mm -hmm. I mean, they don't want to sit there and let listen to me. They will get, they will really start acting up. So you have to get them involved. You have to get them talking, learn to listen, uh, learn to involve everybody because you just talk to one or two of the boys, the other ones are going to start acting up. So you have to get everyone involved. Uh, tone of voice you're not preaching to them you're talking to them i think it's been the best thing for me uh even better than focus, focus groups have been good because it's got me to learn to stop preaching and start talking right. and listening but i really think working with the boys has been uh it's like being a school teacher you you learn to, to and better than being a school teacher because you're doing fun stuff with them Absolutely. Uh, and I think that's been a great experience. So. What great jury selection <laughs> skills that is. Everyone go volunteer for the Boys or Girl Scouts. Well, I don't know where you are politically on that. But anyway, find right. a group of people. Because that is it's one of the things that, as I mentioned on their work days, when folks come down and start talking about their cases and they speak in this language, they talk about the medical jargon, and they just they speak in this elevated legal language and even or if it's a products case and they speak that jargon as well and and we catch them on that and say and we deliberately say i don't know what you just said and they're like first they look at us and think what i i'm paying you you don't understand and we're we are being that juror speak to us in english as you once spoke before you went to law school because it's not even speaking on a third fourth grade level it is speaking as your community is speaking and the problem 
is we have attorneys who say, oh, no, no, I never do that in front of a jury. But can you imagine you're in trial, you're tired, you're preoccupied, you have so many things going on in your head, and then now the default, your default language is going to come out, and that is not the language that you're speaking that, that, that needs to be your everyday language, that needs to be the language that others understand, that you're jurors understand and it's not speaking down to them that's the one thing that people oh I need to speak down as if they're stupid if you feel that you need to speak down to them as if they are stupid that's going to come across in the way you speak to them and they will recognize that and they will hold that against you so if you just speak as everyday folks speak not only will it help you relate and connect with your jurors more but also when it comes down to if you are of the school of thought of making rules coming up with analogies it's going to be a lot easier to do that because you don't have all the legal stuff floating in your head you don't have that obstacle of how do i turn this rule into english um you are already speaking english yeah and it's so hard you know we get so wrapped we work so many hours that we spend all our time in our little tribe of trial lawyers and yes. experts and consultants and if we can't just get out and make friends that aren't in the tribe uh, at least the focus groups let us practice talking to regular people and also as you mentioned with your experts if you're talking with your experts like that and then they take the stand and they continue to talk like that you need to be talking with them before trial in that everyday language so that they will do that in trial as well because it's not only how you speak it's how anyone who takes the stand speaks and frankly if i'm a juror and i don't understand what's going on not only am i going to be hostile towards you i'm going to resent you but i'm also going to say you know what this is above my 12 dollar pay grade yeah. and so you i don't need to be deciding this who are you asking me you need other people in here and so i'm just going to leave this as a defense verdict i'm just going to you know that's because that is status quo it doesn't change anything and I find if you have to use big words it's because you don't really understand it if you really understand something mm -hmm. and take the effort to, to do it then mm -hmm. you can explain it in simple English and Google if you don't know what the regular words is Google is a really is your friend say what does this word mean because <laughs> when I get focus group scripts or openings and I look at them and I was like I don't know what that means I Google the heck out of that thing and say oh that's the English way of saying it why did we just say that and if you are in the habit of saying in other words just use those words instead of saying it's this big as you were saying what was the big the word that we had yeah, itchy Ekimosis. something Ekimosis. whatever that was and then if you say in other words it is well just tell me what those other words are instead of using itchy icky most yeah I mean in that case we had to use it because it was in the Absolutely. medical record and the doctor and the expert said it wasn't there and but, you connect it back up to say remember that thing that we talked about that's this thing that says ichymosis and right we had there. a picture and it looked mm -hmm. like a bruise and yeah. we said ichymosis means a bruise you see exactly. the picture it looks like a bruise so Perfect. when he says there's no bruise there there wasn't right absolutely uh, now working with attorneys uh, I'm trying to get something useful for the for the listeners. So you work with lawyers everywhere. You work with a lot of great lawyers. Mm -hmm. uh, what are some things you see lawyers do that hurt their cases or hurt their chances of winning? Well, some of us, what we've talked about is the language that you're using and also how you're relating or not relating to the jurors and also whether or not you've done focus groups to know or talked with whether it's formal focus groups or informal focus groups of just going out in the community and finding what people think about your case um, uh, you've already started um, behind the line if you haven't done that in preparation for your trial uh, but other things that they try to do one of the things um, that I worry sometimes is that folks try to imitate their idol or their mentors as opposed to taking all the concept that's concepts that they've learned and different there's so many different schools of thought out there and so many wonderful different ways and whether you're a disciple of this or that whatever it is but then going back and practicing focus grouping it seeing does this work for me does this not and then allowing that whatever you've learned and whatever you have that does work to then 
come through you naturally, authentically, as opposed to you trying to be someone else up there or to think I am now imitating this great trial lawyer that I love and so I'm going to be him up there because he's so successful. Well, he's so successful because he's figured out who he is and that's the person that he's or she is showing up there as opposed to you doing a either bad or maybe even a really good imitation of that person is still an imitation. I saw that a lot when I was really involved with the Trial Lawyers College. Yeah. You'd have some people would just go try to imitate Jerry Spence and yeah. use his exact stories and yeah. try to do his voice and start buying French jackets and cowboy hats when they're from you know New Jersey right. or something. Absolutely. Whereas, Whether it's Spence or Keenan or whoever it might be, there's some wonderful trial lawyers. If you talk to them, they found their own. Yeah, and I was going to say in the Trial Lawyers College mm-hmm. you can take a, like a Jude Basile, Joe Freed, Mike Leeserman, very, very different styles. Yeah. Uh, but they applied what they learned to themselves. Also, right. didn't say, I'm going to stop listening to everybody else in the world. I'm still going to take in what I can learn from other consultants, other research, and just have become fantastic trial lawyers with their own voice. And that's what I'm Absolutely. aspiring to be. Trying Absolutely. To get there. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, that, that's, that's key is learning who you are and what you're able to do. Um, you know, one of the things that folks disagree on is whether or not at the end of opening to give a number. Uh, you know, we're asking for however much. And uh, and I tell folks, because they're different schools of thought, and I can understand, you know, the f- folks who say do, folks who say don't. My idea is I at least want them to know, because jurors sometimes don't have any really concept of how much, if, if it's a quote big case if you're asking for large numbers and they think that hundreds of thousands is a big deal that's a lot of money and you're in the millions ballpark um i do want them to understand where we are but regardless of whether you do or don't if you learn a way and you decide yes i'm going to ask for the money but when you ask for the money you're very hesitant about it or you look like you don't buy your money then the 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 the, buy what you're telling them what you're trying to sell them then that's a problem then don't put a number in there if you are if you avert their your eyes or you know whatever you're not confident about that then that's not a good tactic for you no matter what the best person has ever you know who tells you to do it says or what they has worked for them in the past that's true, because two trials ago, at the end of my opening, I asked for $2 million, mm-hmm. and it was natural, and it felt right, mm-hmm. and I had a juror nod with me. Mm-hmm. They didn't give quite that much, but uh, they gave cl- close enough, Right. and it was right. My last trial, I asked for a number, and I, you know, the people that were watching me try the case said, uh, you know, you, when you said the number, you kind of said, and that's why the evidence shows that it seems like a big number now, but it's $1.5 million. Yes. Like, they knew... You could just tell in the delivery. It, it wasn't there, and right. You know that's because I was trying a case where it wasn't there. It was right. Just, uh, and so I, I do think there's a good point that I don't know what I could have done to salvage my last trial, but mm-hmm. the uh, following the formula, no matter what. I think there's a point to that. And that's also the other thing that I worry about is people do think there's this magic formula or these magic words that you can say and ta-da, you have done whatever, you know, to to that jury and that's going to win as opposed to understanding that it's a process and different things work for different cases and different clients and different witnesses and different experts and it really depends on that's why you should be focus grouping um, to find out what is going to work here because it may not be the same thing that worked there. And that's also why it's important after your trials, win or lose, to kind of do a debriefing to say, okay, this worked, this did not, uh, what are the reasons this worked, why did this not? Um, And it's particularly hard to do when you get a win, you kind of just ride that out and don't really pay attention to how it, you just thought you were awesome and your client was awesome and great. Um, When you lose, it hits you harder and you don't tend to necessarily want to go back and figure out what happened, but the best trial lawyers will tell you that the reason why they are who they are today is because they learn from those losses. And so figure out this went well, this did not, it's really important to go back and do that with every trial and that way you can figure out, okay, for this kind of case it might work, for this it might not. Yeah, and, and it's funny, we take losing so hard, nobody else really cares. Uh, I found that all the great trial lawyers have lost a lot of cases. Right. Um, uh, other than maybe Spence, uh, 
I think there's some case selection bias in there. But I don't know. He's won a lot of really hard cases too. But most of us have lost. And you talk to the people who are on the headlines. No one remembers the ones you lose. They right. just remember the ones you win. But you learn from the ones you lost. And you know, I remember when I went to the trial lawyers college back in '98. I thought I'd never lose a trial again. When I went to your right. first reptile seminar, I thought right. I'd never lose a trial again. Right. And I realized, well, the facts still do matter. These things help maximize my chances of winning. They help me win more when I win. It's but, framing. It's trying to figure out the proper framing. As I said, it's not like you can spit something out to a machine and something pops out and that's a winning formula. That's not how trials work. And so recognizing that. And I've been learning focus groups where we, you know, we give the same presentation. We yeah. divide them into three or four groups and yeah. we get three or four different results. Absolutely. I had one. We divide them into two groups and one gave zero and one gave $51 million. Right. So part of it is you just have to... Go in there, maximize your chances, roll the dice, see what happens. Absolutely. And, you know, it's the fallacy of small numbers kind of thing. If you're focus grouping, you do it with six folks. And fortunately, attorneys do seem to be recognizing that. And actually, I've been heartened to see that I've gotten more attorneys who get in touch with me after they've done their own focus groups and they've been successful at it like oh my jurors liked it i'm really scared because i don't know what that means <laughs> i don't think i did it well and so i appreciate that because as i always say you know when you're doing focus group research it's better to lose early on um than to go in there and think my case is awesome because I can promise you there's going to be a juror who's going to find something wrong with it. And if you don't find that in your focus grouping, um, then you need to look. Bad research is worse than no research at all. So yeah, all of our, our bigger cases, we're trying to do focus groups before we even yeah. file. So we know Absolutely. what do we need to deal with in discovery? What do we need? What, you know, when I'm doing depositions, okay, these are my landmines. Right. What do I need to start doing to go around them, to diffuse them? Um, and the more focus groups that you do, the more in tune you are with your population, the community, what they do care about. So it will allow you, if you don't have the resources to do a focus group before an intake or anything like that, you're able at least to more critically, better critically, if that's even a word, but uh, do a better job of being able to look at this and say, okay, I hear jurors who are going to have a problem with this I hear because that's when I'm doing my analysis the reason why I rip up cases the way I do is because I do have all those jurors I have the benefit of jurors in my head who are going to have a problem with this and I find even imperfect focus groups are better than none I mean I we love when we can hire a professional to do the focus group we love when we can hire a professional to recruit uh, but I've been involved with some other lawyers that use Craigslist, which I hate because you only get sure. people that are looking for work in Craigslist, but you still learn something. We did one where we only had three people show up, but we still learned something. It you was still better something. than doing nothing. Um, right, and you and you have to recognize, okay, well, I learned this, but also remember the source from which I got that, yeah. whether it's, you know, if you're doing Craigslist or if you're doing, um, you know, temp agencies, recognize that they are coming in with their, their own personalities, experiences, their their certain kind of breed of folks. But, I mean, we talked about yesterday different ways of doing you know, kind of free focus groups. One is just when you're hanging out at a ball game or wherever you might be or at a coffee shop and just talking to the person next to you and saying, or if you do public transportation, if you get on planes or trains or automobiles or whatever it is, and just talking to the person and saying, you know, I, I've got this thing that I'm working on, I'm an attorney and I've got this thing, or I know of a case, let me tell you about that. And people love to talk about legal stuff and they love to have their opinions heard and it also gives you a better way of actually fine-tuning your listening skills so you learn more from them and it's kind of the same with your Boy Scouts example. Uh, of My wife has about a 98% uh, accuracy rate on whether I want or lose a trial not not the number uh, but she is really good about picking mm -hmm. up on the problem like I wouldn't give that person any money uh, she's or that's a problem I you know people aren't gonna like that she's really I have a very unfiltered wife she's not one that's, that's gonna, wonderful uh, worry about my feelings because sometimes it's the night before trial you don't really want to hear about how you lose your case but I love her uh, but you know earlier on when I asked her and actually listened to her it, right. it, it's another source but uh, doesn't replace focus groups but no, and, and as I said, just 
reach out to a wide variety. The benefit of doing a more formal focus group is you then get the crosstalk. You get the folks, you know, having that discussion with each other as opposed to you just talking, you know, with one or two people. Um, so you get those different experiences and the biases and whatever that they're bringing in. You get that discussion going on. Are there other things you see lawyers do that hurt their cases? Dismissing jurors or identifying jurors as a demographic or a stereotype. Um, having attorneys call us and say, I've got this kind of case, what juror do I want on there, who do I need to kick off? Well, that's not that easy just to say, especially demographically. Um, that's a very dangerous way. And if you're doing focus groups or if you're not or if you're even in trial, it's a dangerous way um, to try to win your case and to pick a jury. Um, so yeah, that's one thing. If we're saying prejudice, bias and prejudice are wrong, then that's not that shouldn't be part of our business model. Right, exactly. It also I doesn't mean, work. You're out. Right. I mean, it's uh, you really have to because just because you have a certain population who all look the same, they've all got they're coming from different places, and that's affecting yeah. how they see things. And trying to find out, just trying to find out who your folks are, and um, and not assuming okay, I know I need to have this many of this or this many of that, and, you know, looking for certain characteristics. Yeah, well, someone who, back when I lived in Brownsville, a lot of my friends that we would barbecue and drink beer together were mm -hmm. Hispanic Trump voters. Mm -hmm. um, you definitely cannot just assume, you know, if someone just looked at them on a jury pool, they might think, oh, well, these are, you know, Hispanic males, probably good jurors by demographics right. and they would kill your case i, mean, right. I love them we were buddies right. we go have fun together but you don't want them on your jury right um, and also don't assume that a quote trump juror is necessarily bad for you absolutely not. you know that that's also that's part of the background form that i'm uh, that i have them fill out and if they say one of their favorite politicians is trump and then I listened to them, and they ended up being really good for the case. And so you can't cannot just sweep and say, how do I identify the Trump voters? Well, what's the reason why you're wanting to identify them, and what are you going to do with them? Right, because they may be a Trump voter because they think there's some big injustices that need to be cleaned up, and they mm -hmm. may be willing to do the same thing on them. You know, it's just presuming, you know, I think we dehumanize people that have certain Absolutely. views, and I think when we do that, we... One, you know, we're going to dismiss people that could help us, and two, we're not going to communicate with them and get them to trust us and us to trust them because Absolutely. we're looking at them as subhuman. And then there's all, lots of other bad things that happen when parts of the country look at other parts of the country as less than human. That doesn't lead to good, good places. We see that today in our country. I mean, what's happening politically is very is very enlightening for your lawsuits and jurors and so whether or not you're really happy with the way things are going politically or whether you're really not I urge you to pay attention and also we talked about this yesterday this I, I am on Twitter I don't tweet um, but I follow folks and I follow discussions and I pay attention to what's the trending topic what's the story that's going on what's the news item um, and then I pay attention to the responses after because I like to see does anything change minds and if not what is that person caring about and assuming it's not a Russian bot um, what is the discussion that folks are having it's really whether it's seeing how biases filter through and how people can the kind of cognitive dissonance that folks have or whether they're really attached to something and they've already made their conclusions your logic is not going to change their mind all those things this is what happens with juries as well so I encourage you to pay attention and also try to predict this new story comes out and I already go in my head and say okay I know how this is going to be spun this way and I know yeah. how it's going to be spun on the other side because both sides do it um, so it's that's interesting I think it does lend to better skills in the courtroom as well Anything else? I know you were nice enough to do a list of things. Uh, I don't know where you are on the list of things that lawyers do that tend to hurt their cases. Um, I think one of the things also, whether you're doing a focus group or jury selection, anything like that, um, be careful of trying to steer people in the direction you want them to go as opposed to asking them what's important. So what I do is... Um, if I'm doing a uh, focus group, what I will ask is after I've presented something, I just start with thoughts. I ask thoughts, 
and I allow them to steer their conversation um, wherever they want to go because that's what's important to them as opposed to I have this list of questions I have these issues I want to get to um, and so I'm going to direct you to answer this as opposed to really caring because it's in jury selection as well if someone says they've been in a car wreck um, after you hopefully say and hopefully in a way that's genuine I'm sorry to hear that be human in your response to yeah. that as opposed to did you sue but um, the follow-up after you've especially if someone's been injured or anything like that after you've had the human response um, acknowledge that they were in something that was not so great uh, and say I'm sorry to hear that you know, tell us about that right you know or what can you share and if it's something that's a sensitive topic then be careful of making folks share things that they don't want to share in public and recognize that this is not the time to do it and this might be something that you need to deal with outside of the jury room maybe you need to go and you know take with the judge and um, deal with it there but be beware of directing them somewhere and just also be aware of and this is why it's good to have conversations with people outside of your law firm and particularly strangers out in the public because remember how to have a conversation with someone especially when you're trying to get information from them and be very human in doing that um, because you don't butt in you don't argue with them there are things that you do not do in social interactions um, remember to do that in a jury selection as well even when oh, the judge is giving you 20 minutes of time, well, then figure out what's the issue that I really want to focus this jury selection on. But based, hopefully, on focus groups that you've done, what's the key issue I need to deal with, and how's the best way to do that? Do I need them to raise hands to do it? Do I need maybe a questionnaire beforehand to submit to the judge um, to have them fill out what's the best way? But to be rude about it just because your needs are, I need to get this done and I'm tired of you talking um, and interrupting people or steering them in directions they don't want to go can be dangerous because even if you get that juror off, you still have everybody else who just watch you do that. And then if you're coming into trial trying to talk about how you're a guardian of community, all that stuff, I will lead you to safety. If you're doing that, um, but they just saw something very different where you weren't very respectful of people, you didn't yeah. seem to like people, um, they're not going to buy this face that you've put on in trial. Yeah, I've also learned similar to that is the the fear of silence. Absolutely. Uh, really gets lawyer, keeps lawyers from getting people to talk in jury selection because there are those awkward, like you ask something, mm -hmm. nobody wants to speak up first, and then like the lawyer goes and starts filling it in where I find silence is a vacuum that like, is pulling words out of people's mouth and if you would just wait somebody will jump up other than you I learned that uh, when I was in law school and doing the jury interviews and uh, post-trial interviews and I was on the phone with them and I would tell them in advance I'm typing everything that you say to make sure I get it accurate and uh, so there will be some silences there I just want to let you know when that happens so you know just to give them a heads up on that and I recognized that when I did that even though I'd already given them that quote warning folks are awkward with silence and so they would fill it or I realized that some people take a little longer um, to come up with ideas that are floating their heads they haven't yet formulated them so whether it's a focus group or whether a discussion group a narrative whatever kind of focus group or if it's in jury selection to allow in a non creepy way but to allow that silence to just sit there and see whether they're done or not because they will tell you it's the silent equivalent of tell us more tell us more um, and so if it's one of I think the one of the first articles I ever wrote that David said you must write an article uh, and way back in the day I referenced there's a Depeche Mode song enjoy the silence yeah. and that's in my head always what I think about is enjoy the silence um, yeah. so to do that to remember that they might not be done and your best stuff can come from that exchange. Anything else on your list of things that we do that screw up our own cases? Another thing that folks have a tendency to do is not trust jurors to make their own conclusions, um, but instead trying to force your conclusion on them. And attorneys tend to do that through advocacy, through repetition. Um, 
And just because you repeat something five billion times does not mean that that's going to make it important to them or that they will remember it better. Just because, and we see this in uh, focus groups also, just because you repeated something a million times, they don't bring it up in, a, in their deliberations. Doesn't mean they didn't hear it. Uh, and if they did hear it, they may have ignored it because it didn't fit with the conclusion they'd already made. But if you want to, Pam, because I've had attorneys say, oh, you know, I need to go in there and tell them this. Well, you already told them this. That does not matter to them. And at some point, I, when I did post-trial interviews, jurors would say, I hated the fact they kept repeating this thing as if we were stupid. And so jurors will recognize that as well. And so what you need to do is make sure you frame cases in such a way that they will come to their own conclusion and it's theirs and it's strongly held and if it's theirs and it's strongly held they're going to then fight for that harder than if you try to force yours on them and then that you seem to be one of those advocating attorneys i've had uh jurors tell me you don't act like a lawyer and i'm like i don't i think that's a compliment but i'm not really sure what that means but that persuasive, you know, I'm going to force my opinions on you, folks don't like that. Because also it's telling me also that I cannot form my own opinion. And so I'm not going, if you try to force your conclusion on me, I'm not really going to take that banner and go run with it. One of the hardest things that I've been working on and one of the things that I've seen bear the most fruit in my verdicts has been learning to actually just relax and trust jurors. Yes. How is that important and how do we learn to do that because it's for me at least it's been so hard to just just trust these strangers to take care of my case and do the right thing and because when you get rid of that tension and that distress and trying to force it to them it flows better but how is it important and how do we do it well part of it is working up your case beforehand so you know the information that you need to give them so they can form the, that conclusion that your side is right, that the defendants uh, did wrong here and caused harm. Um, so not doing an information dump, because the problem with doing an information dump on folks and saying, here are all the things that I learned, here's the whole story of what happened, all that stuff, when you do that, first of all, we don't, that's too weighty on jurors, and every fact, every piece of information that you release to a juror, to your listener, carries a weight and it carries a risk and once it's out there you cannot pull it back you cannot tell them I want you to do this with that it's out of your control so you have to be very careful uh, that as you are giving them information that you have balanced you've taken into consideration okay I'm using this information this is how it helps me but these are all the possible ways it can hurt me and so then you do that risk benefit does this information information need to come in and if it does then how am I going to get it in and where am I going to put it so that I can still have jurors concluding for my side but then also you know they'll either they'll use this information in the best way possible but Again, that's doing research beforehand to find out what people might be thinking about your cases. So we, we've given us some great tips, but I want to talk about you a little bit more. Uh, I've noticed that in because I'm a trial guides junkie, uh, sure. and you know the first I had David Ball too, and he only talked about his own stuff, and then the reptile was him and Don Keenan, and I noticed that uh, now I'm reading more where even the theater for trial that joshua yeah. and david wrote joshua there's love like joshua. there's like artemis yeah. parts in the book when are you going to get to write a book so david and i are actually working on damages four so that'll be coming out so that's going to be a co-writing thing that we will be doing um so I, i've done articles here and there um but as far as it's also hard you know david and his book writing and anyone who writes a book i mean you gotta take you got to take a chunk of your time, uh, schedule that, and say, all I'm doing during that time is writing, and no one can bother me. And that's hard. <laughs> um, and so it depends on, I guess, your writing habits. Some people can take, okay, this one hour or this one day a week will be. I tend to be one of those people who I need to do it all in a chunk because I'm, I, 
I get the flow, I get, you know, the mental stuff going on. And so if you tell me to stop and then do it again, pick it up again, that's not going to, I'm not going to remember where I was. And then I'm going to look at it and say, why did I write that? Yeah. <laughs> Which, by the way, is a good reason also why you should write your openings well in advance, because when you pick it up the next time, uh, you're looking and say, I don't understand why I wrote that. Um, so anyway, so damage is for, look for that. We are sort of in the process of, we're in the beginnings of uh, writing that, so that'll well, be good. a co-writing. Because I, I kind of see you as the next generation of, you know, we've got a lot of people that have been around for 20 or 30 sure. years, they're great, mm -hmm. but 20 years from now, they're probably not going to be active trial consultants. I'm so uh, glad that you didn't say they'll be dead. I hope not. I hope not either. you know, doing a couple cases and <laughs> yeah. traveling and enjoying themselves. Absolutely. Uh, I don't wish that on anyone, but yes. the fact is, you know, sure. there's a mantle that needs to be picked up and sure. you seem to be the person that's there. Well, there's also a great group of uh, trial lawyers coming up um, and have a lot to say and a lot, a lot of, you know, the trials in some way are very different, in some way similar to what they were before. And so it's just, you know, making sure that you're up to speed on who your jurors are. And so that's part of what we learn. And let's say one of our listeners is out there and they say, yeah, I've got a case. I think sure. Artemis could help me with this case. Uh, what are some of the things you could do that, to help lawyers with cases? Uh, so as I mentioned, I mean, part of it is just talking. I mean, I can talk for an hour on a case that folks have, um, depending on resources is always an issue. Uh, if it's just a quick question about something and we don't have to go in depth into the case or anything that I do off the clock I mean that I have no problems with that at all um, by off the clock you mean free yeah off the clock I mean free and so just re recognize that with traveling and stuff it might be a little while before I hear uh, you hear from me um, but I usually mention that I'm on the road um, so but then if it's just something that now we get to really we have to go into the case and I got to learn some more information about it. It's going to take more time. Now we go back on the clock. Um, but it can run the gamut of any, you know, just I don't know how would a juror see my case and I don't, cannot afford to do a folks group. Or I want to do my own and how do I go about doing that? I'm happy to help people do their own because, as I mentioned before, I don't want you to be doing bad research. I'd rather you do uh, good research. So helping folks do that. Um, and, you know, different aspects, helping them with openings, helping them with rules, um, even whether or not they're going to take a case or not. There's a whole... So I guess you do everything from just a, a phone consult yeah. one time all the way up to doing the focus groups, being there for jury selection, reading through the opening statements and helping develop the openings and the rules. Right. And anything in between. Anything in between. And if someone wants to get a hold of you or learn more about you, where do they, how do they do it? Well, they can email me, okay. and so my email is artemis, A-R-T-E-M-I-S, at consult, C-O-N-S-U-L-T-M-M-B, like mother, mother, basketball, the important things in life, uh, dot com. So uh, artemis at consult, M-M-B dot com. And do you all have a website? We do, uh, Malik for and Ball, but I don't even know what's on there. But, yeah, okay. we do. If you just type in one of our names, it does come up somehow. Magically, we get these responses, this web intake form. Um, so, yes. Well, thank you so much for taking yeah, the time to talk to you. us. And I'm looking forward to working with you the rest of this day on our cases. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us on Trial Lawyer Nation. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Artemis. I know I did. You know, we've worked with Artemis on cases, and I recommend if you ever have a case you want to brainstorm, you want to work with whether on a focus group, or you want to have her train your team on any of the topics we touched, we discussed today, I'd, I'd really recommend reaching out to her. She can add a lot of value. Uh, next episode, we have another attorney from Scranton, Pennsylvania, Marion Munley. Uh, Marion is a great lawyer. Uh, she gets fantastic results. And she's not only going to talk about her journey and some of the results she's given, but she's also talking about some of the challenges of coming up as a woman in our profession. Uh, this has become an issue that is very dear to my heart, uh, trying to get more women in the realm of great trial lawyers. Uh, some of the best trial lawyers happen to be women. You've heard Randy McGinn, Lisa Blue, other people on this podcast, and you'll hear even more. 
Uh, but you know, my firm is now more women than men. Uh, and two of my partners uh, are women. I'm glad to work with them. And she's going to talk to some about how we can make the world a better place by having more women uh, joining the ranks. It's so sad to go to a CLE and see 90% of the people sitting there as white males. We're wasting so much talent and so many people with great potential aren't reaching it because we're not bringing them into the, the profession. Uh, so I hope you guys come and join us next time on Trial Lawyer Nation. We look forward to talking with you again soon as we continue to explore powerful insights from our amazing hosts and remarkable guests here on Trial Lawyer Nation. Until then, please be sure to subscribe and review this podcast on iTunes or your favorite listening app so we can continue to reach more listeners. Visit us at www.triallawyernation.com to send us a message, listen to previous podcasts, or learn more about Michael Cowan and our guests. This podcast has been hosted by Michael Cowan and is not intended to, nor does it create the attorney-client privilege between our hosts, guests, or contributors, and any listener for any reason. Content from the podcast is not to be interpreted as legal advice. All thoughts and opinions expressed herein are only those from which they came.